WMMC HD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston. And on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. What happens during a missing time event? Are there certain common factors that run through UFO abduction cases? Who are Denise Stoner and Jenny Henderson? Hey there, and welcome to the 474th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those those provocative questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening, we deal with a subject that we know very little about, surprisingly, so the guest will probably have an easy time of it. And if you actually, have... that's from last week's script. It was never removed. We know quite a bit about this subject, but I not... don't. <laughs> well, you don't, but not nearly as much as our good friend Kathleen Mart. Uh, Kathy's with us this evening, as she is a prominent UFO abduction researcher, author, and lecturer with 23 years' experience in the field. She is the Mutual UFO Network's, <clears throat> excuse me, director of abduction research and an advocate for starborn support. For 10 years, she was MUFON's director of field investigator training. In 2012, she received MUFON's Researcher of the Year Award. Kathy holds a BA degree in social work with honors from the University of New Hampshire and did graduate work in education, later working as a teacher and education coordinator. She is also a certified hypnotherapist. Her interest in UFOs dates back to September 20, 1961, when her aunt, Betty Hill, phoned her nearby home to report that she and Barney Hill, her uncle, had encountered a flying saucer in New Hampshire's White Mountains, a primary witness to the evidence of the UFO encounter and the aftermath. Kathy has intimate knowledge of the Hills and previously unpublished files pertaining to their sensational story. She is the author of three books, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, Science Was Wrong, written with nuclear physicist, scientific ufologist Stanton T. Friedman, who was on two weeks ago, and the just-published The Alien Abduction Files, the most startling cases of human-alien contact ever recorded, written with Denise Stoner, uh, released just in May. She She has written many articles and contributed to books. Kathy has appeared on television and radio programs in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., and has lectured throughout the United States. She will be a featured speaker at the first New England UFO conference on September, I should say, Saturday, October 26th, in Lemonster, Massachusetts, where Ben and I will interview her before a live audience. Kathy lives with her family in Central Florida and can be contacted at kmarden at aol.com. You can buy her books and read some of her articles at her main website, www.kathleen-marden, that's M-A-R-D-E-N, kathleen-marden.com, and we'll give her a chance a little bit later to talk about all that. So, Kathleen Marden, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. It's great to be back with you tonight. Oh, it's great to have you back with us. So, before Thanks. we get uh, anywhere else, what is Starborn Support? Yeah, Starborn Support is... Uh, a support group network for experiencers who uh, are having difficulty dealing with their abductions. They might feel that there's really no one that they can talk to about this. They They do not want to disclose their identity, even if they've attempted to talk to family members and sometimes friends. They're not believed or... Uh, people ha- suggest that they might be going a little off their rockers or uh, just not believe them. Starborn support uh, offers support to these people in a non-judgmental way. Uh, and we're expanding 
We have now have support groups in uh, Maine, in Massachusetts, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think there are three in Pennsylvania. And we're expanding down the East Coast. We now have uh, one in Florida and also one in Tennessee. So this is really important because so many abduction experiencers are having difficulty not being able to talk about what happened to them and it's really hard just to keep it inside hmm. yeah, please keep us posted on that so what do you mean by uh, do you, how, how does a support group help somebody deal with an abduction uh, they can talk to other people confidentially about their experiences and these other people have also had very similar experiences mm -hmm. and then there are peer facilitators and these facilitators are people who either have a great deal of knowledge about abduction phenomena or they are experiencers themselves. So they can empathize uh, with the other abductees. It, it's actually better, I believe, than hi hypnotherapy for all of this. Hmm. Uh, and, well, hypnotherapy might be something that you might want to do as an adjunct to this, but support is extremely important. How do uh, psychiatrists and psychologists react to this? It or do you know? Upon, well, it depends upon the psychologist and the psychiatrist. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, back when John Mack, Dr. John Mack, a prominent psychiatrist at Harvard, uh, was very vocal about all of this uh, prior to uh, an, an auto accident where he was struck by a car and killed in England. But he uh, was instrumental in setting up support groups across the United States and in training psychologists, social workers, and psych psychologists that uh, this is a real phenomenon. People are experiencing this. And people need some help and support because it's not socially acceptable to talk about this the, the public tends to make fun of people. They're encouraged to do so by the government and by a vocal group of debunkers. And so uh, it really depends upon how much knowledge the mental health professional has about this topic. Uh, when they have a lot of knowledge about it, they will be able to accept it. And they should actually be able to determine whether or not any experiencer is mentally ill, uh, you know, if they're if they're delusional, uh, or if this is something that is real and has occurred. Hmm, it's really interesting. But, so uh, we're going to move on a little bit here and go on and switch gears. Uh, can you tell us a, uh, about a, like a little overview of your new book, uh, The Alien Abduction Files? Yes, I'd love to. Uh, it is uh, a book about several cases. Uh, where experiencers have had close encounters with a UFO, often had missing time, and uh, had a UFO abduction experience. Often uh, they were with witnesses. They might have had close encounters. They might have observed the non-human entities 
on board the craft. Sometimes they had conscious, continuous recall of all of this. Uh, first, we have the story of Denise and Ed Stoner, who uh, were from Colorado at the time. This happened on Friday the 13th, 1982, Perfect and they were traveling to their summer place, uh, just, yes, just north of Buena Vista. Uh, they had traveled there every single weekend during the summer. They'd meet Denise's family at the camp. They also had a place there. They always left at 5 o'clock at night. They always stopped on Kenosha Pass for a little rest. Uh, Ed had been in the military and was very methodical in the way he did things. And so he would check his mileage. Uh, he would arrive at, uh, wherever he was going at approximately the same time every Friday night. So they took their little breather at Kenosha Pass, and then they started to descend down to the valley floor. Excuse, excuse me, of, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we lost a few sentences in there. There was some kind of interference. Where was, what state was this in again? This happened in Colorado. Colorado. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Colorado. Yes. So they were they were descending toward the valley floor of South Park Valley when Denise noticed two new lights in the sky, and she started watching them. And this was daylight still. It was wasn't even seven o'clock at night, and it was in the summer. So what happened is uh, the first town they arrived at was Jefferson, and it was just sort of over to the right side of, of their car, uh, so they didn't pass directly through it. But four miles south of Jefferson, Ed checked his odometer. And as he was doing that, Denise pointed out those lights that were now descending upon their car very, very rapidly. And she, as she spoke to Ed, noticed that his hands were on the steering wheel and he seemed to be in some kind of a trance. He was staring straight ahead. The next thing she knew, the car started to slide off the road, and there was a snow barrier there. The, the car lifted up and traveled over the top of that snow barrier. The next thing she and Ed knew, they were at the other end of this valley. Uh, they were on, now on Trout Creek Path, and it was 11 o'clock at night. It had been about 6.55, moments before they thought, but now it was 11 o'clock, they were cold, it was pitch black, the headlights of their car were on, they didn't know how they had been turned on because Ed hadn't done it. Uh, they had traveled 40 miles, but it didn't register on their odometer which was not broken, it was working. They drove on uh, and met Denise's family who had expected them for dinner between 8 and 8.15. The family was uh, very upset, very worried, Had were in the process of walking up toward the ranch house to use the phone to call the highway patrol. They thought that perhaps Ed and Denise had been in an accident and um, they had no explanation for what had happened. Denise eventually went to a hypnotist, a Dr. Romack in, in Denver, and he had hypnotized her and uh, retrieved a little bit of information about what happened that night. But years and years passed and she didn't tell anybody until about three and a half years ago when I moved from New Hampshire to Florida and 
uh, attended some of her meetings. She was active in Florida, MUFON. She was Florida's chief investigator at that time. And she eventually confided to me that she had had this missing time experience. And I offered to assist her in recalling more of the details of what had happened to her on board this craft. And it was an abduction. I uh, hypnotized Ed and Denise. Okay, I'm afraid we're going to have to come back to that, Kathy. You left us at a good place because we uh, have to take a break right now. And uh, we will be right back. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio. And our guest, Kathleen Martin, in the midst of a riveting uh, monologue on this, this amazing case in Colorado that is part of her new book, The Alien Abduction File. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Seeking guidance in areas of love, career, and family? Kimmy Rose and Friends provides access to gifted psychics and is just a call away at 1-888-626-7386. Visit KimmyRose.com. That's Kimmy with an I-E. And click on the link to Kimmy Rose and Friends under Kimmy's picture on the right. Choose your advisor and click on their link below. If they're not immediately available, schedule an appointment with them. Kimmy Rose and Friends connecting you with psychic advisors, Kimmy trust how far will you go how deep is your love your body's bruised and on fire can stop the world can stop desire and i can't turn around and i can't turn around I'm 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Well, welcome back. And we are with our, our very interesting guest and our good friend Kathy Martin. And we're talking about her new book, The Alien Abduction Files. Now, uh, Kathy... In watching the aftermath of the Hills experience, your aunt and uncle's experience in 1961, and in uh, 23 years of your own research, including the Stoner case you were talking about, uh, as a matter of fact, I didn't let you finish that. So I'm going to put off this question so you can finish talking about the Stoner case. I'm sorry. Okay. So we kind of well, we, we were, were left with, you know, hanging with the, uh, the experience of... Uh, yes, well, what happened and, to the Stoners? Well, under hypnosis, and I want to say that I use forensic hypnosis, that is the only type of hypnosis that used to be permissible in a court of law. No hypnosis is anymore, but it's a type that you can use in order to uh, reduce the possibility that a person might uh, confabulate or produce false information under hypnosis. I also had both Ed and Denise to hypnotize separately and impose amnesia so that I could co uh, compare their stories. And um, what happened is the car was carried out across the desert floor toward the mountain range and away from civilization. Uh, the craft then hovered over the ground and uh, being that Denise recognized uh, later, actually not at that point, but uh, later realized it was one that she had seen many times throughout her lifetime, uh, took her up through an opening that was too small for a human body to pass through. She felt as if the molecules in her body were coming apart, and this was painful at this point. And then she found herself standing in a hallway, and the hallway was lined with the little three-and-a-half-foot-tall gray soldiers is what she calls them because they line the walls and almost blend in. They don't move unless they're directed to do so. And she was escorted down the hallway by this uh, being that she has seen over and over again and uh, standing at the doorway to the examining room was an insectoid type being. And I'm hearing more and more reports of these insectoid beings working with the greys, and they're the ones who are the physicians. She was taken into the examining room. Uh, she underwent a physical examination. Uh, what appears to have been an implant was inserted through her foot. Uh, also, an oversample was taken for, uh, through a needle that was inserted into her navel, just like it was with Betty Hill and like it happens over and over again with female abduction experiencers. She was then uh, asked if she would like to have a tour of the craft. And she was concerned about where her husband and 14-year-old daughter were, but uh, they said that they were fine. And so she was taken to the central core of the craft. And in that central core room, uh, which was a little bit dark, she saw red and black fluid running through the floor. There was an entirely unique and different kind of environment there. And it was almost as if she was being hit by some kind of a force field. At that point, uh, 
her limbs started flying out uh, and her her body would move as if she were being hit almost by uh, sandbags, you might say, small sandbags or beanbags that would uh, cause her to move back whenever she was hit. She felt that there was something alive in that central core, that it was biological. And I have written about this in the book because I've received this report many times before. So I have written some quotes that I've received from others about this as well. Denise didn't know about this when she was reliving this through hypnosis. Uh, after that, she was released from the craft. And I'm actually at the Experiencers Speak Conference on September 6th through 8th at the Clarion Hotel in Portland, Maine. I am going to be lecturing on this book and I have videotape of Denise's hypnosis. So you will be able to see and hear her reliving her experience on board the craft and see how her body moved when she was hit by this force field as well. You know, and I wanted to check with Ed. Would did Ed have the same kind of experience? Ed made me promise that if he was abducted, that I would not take him beyond the point where he was on the craft. He did not want to know what happened if he had an examination. And so, of course, I um, told him that would be fine with me. But I, I'd like to read a paragraph out of the book that I found very interesting about his statement. Sure. I wrote, as Ed is driving and driving, he thinks that Denise is dra drawing his attention to a house under construction on the left side of the road. This is the instant when Denise states that she was actually pointing out lights rapidly approaching their car. Suddenly he becomes disoriented and senses that his car has stopped, but he feels momentum and sees swirling dust-like particles surrounding his car as if he is in a vortex. He hears a high-pitched pulsing whine and feels weightless as if he is detached from his body. He's paralyzed and his head is full of random, spinning, analyzing thoughts. He finds himself in a new environment and sees a smooth, dull, reflective, domed ceiling overhead. This description is similar to Denise's description of the examining room on the craft. He is now only sensing a feeling of detachment and waiting for an extended period of time. He doesn't know where Denise and his daughter are. Finally, he hears a frequency in the tenor range that reminds him of loud tinnitus, then a heavy pulsation, and he feels frightened and cold. His weight returns, and he finds himself clinging to his steering wheel. It is suddenly dark outside, and he is freezing. His headlights are on, but he hadn't turned them on. He realizes that he's halfway up Trout Creek Pass. It is nearly 11 p.m., and Denise is, quote, freaking out. So uh, that's what he said. Uh, his testimony was uh, of the interior of the craft was identical to Denise's. Mm -hmm. You mentioned several things that really piqued my interest, and I'm sure Ben's too. <coughs> Excuse me. We're very interested, as you know, we, we tend to be a little bit philosophical about this kind of stuff. Or we try to be, at least. We're a lot philosophical, and, and ask questions that go deeper than most people. One, one person who sort of speaks our language is Nigel Kerner, the British expert, and he believes that these greys 
are probably not entirely biological. And, and what you said about them sort of standing there as soldiers only when needed, do you feel that these things, are in, in your work over the last 23 years, is there some evidence that these are robotic in some way, if that word even applies, or somehow under complete control, or a servant class or something? What, what do you think about that? Yes, I do believe that the small greys, those who act as the uh, police officers or the guards and, and the assistants, are probably cyborgs or robots. Uh, since I since I've received so many reports that the the craft itself seems to be biological and mechanical, I wouldn't doubt that they are as well. However, uh, I've received so many reports of the taller greys and the insectoid type uh, being uh, really sentient beings that I believe that they probably are that uh, they are the ones who are in charge, they are the physicians, they are the scientists. So it would make sense that uh, they would be the decision makers and, uh, and alive, whereas uh, I, I really strongly suspect that the shorter, the small ones are not. You said these insectoids are becoming more common. Uh, how far back do these go? Well, I know that in the case of Thomas Reed and Matthew Reed, this was a case, yes, this was a case in central or western Massachusetts, and then they moved to Connecticut. But when they were young children, they were taken by the greys and the insectoids working in concert with one another. And so this was probably maybe, oh, 40 years ago? Yeah, it was in the 60s, yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. Um, one of the things that strikes us is that there are so many seemingly different species that and the changing nature of the craft that are involved. Now, of course, this, this could simply be the interpretation of the people who are experiencing it. Uh, for example, the descriptions of the craft I've read by the hills is that it, you know, very nuts and bolts, very, uh, you know, lights and people looking out windows and sort of thing, as I, as I recall. And now, uh, as if you talk to people like Ted Phillips, whom we've had on several times, uh, probably the, the greatest uh, database uh, collector of information regarding landings and the evidence, therefore, uh, he is saying that the, these things seem to be changing more from nuts and bolts craft into balls of light or something of this kind. You're aware of all this with the readers. The readers. I'm, being a writer, I say readers, but listeners might not be. What is your opinion of all this? Do you think that it's... Um, that the technology of whoever or whatever this is is changing or our perception of what they're doing is changing? Well, I think that it might be a little of both. Hmm. But going back to the Hill case, those very, very early abduction cases, uh, they seem to be very much nuts and bolts, except for Betty said that the craft seemed to be able to sense it, the terrain underneath it. Hmm. And as it flew it uh, flew along the uh, equidistant from the terrain itself. So it would sort of bob up and down in a sense as it went over uh, you know, the different jagged peaks on mountains or over treetops. Uh, so there might have been some intelligence there at that time as well. But it seems that somewhere along the way, they developed the capability of moving uh, 
people, of moving humans through solid surfaces. They no longer uh, took them from their vehicles and walked them onto the craft like they did with Betty and Barney. And once they were able to uh, develop that technology, we started to receive these reports of balls of light that expand, rapidly expand mm -hmm. into craft. And also balls of light in people's homes that rapidly expand into ETs. That's, that's it. We, we've had reports of that kind of thing. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, you know, as you know, our expertise is in ghost and parasite research for the most part. But in recent years, these phenomena have led us more and more toward UFOs. We've even had ghost cases turn into or at least be enhanced by alien UFO cases. One thing we find is that nothing in the... Oh, it's time for a break? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, we have Not okay. Break? All right. I'm in trouble with myself. We will be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. And we will um, return to our conversation with Kathleen Martin. So stick with us. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. You better believe it. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. We're going to get into what we do best, the uh, philosophical side of uh, what's going on with this phenomenon. So, Dad, take it away with what you were originally talking about before. Yeah, before we were we just off. mentioning what all our, our uh, any self-respecting listener of our show knows, that we are primarily ghost researchers, and this has led us more and more into UFOs, and a lot of ghost cases turn into alien or UFO cases. Mm. Uh, one thing we find, of course, that there is nothing in the paranormal, Kathy, as we see it, that it, nothing, nothing is what it appears to be, and that we seldom can trust our senses and our own limited frame of reference on these things. So... My, our, my question to you, have you ever suspected that UFO phenomena and the abduction scenario in particular might have motivations and an explanation that is just beyond our understanding, for better or for worse? Well, I think it's beyond our scientific understanding at this point, but I talk to uh, many theoretical physicists who uh, do not believe that it's beyond their understanding, they're developing hypotheses about all of this. And in fact, you know, I, I talked to three different physicists about uh, whether or not it's possible, even possible, to pass a human body through a solid surface, such as a wall. And uh, every one of them told me yes. Mm-hmm. And they said that the explanation for this is that, well, we know that everything has a vibrational frequency and nothing is completely solid. And the human body vibrates at a higher frequency than, say, the wall. And so what the way to do this is you would have to match up the frequency of the body and of the wall, and you would have to match up the phase so that everything sort of moves at the same time uh, in the same way. They said, remember, 99% of the atom is empty space between the protons and the electrons. Mm -hmm. So if you line this up right and the vibrational frequency is the same, then you can pass matter through matter. And one scientist told me that it has even been done on a small scale in a laboratory. So I thought this was pretty intriguing. Well, any shaman might tell you the same thing in different words, uh, but I, I, and that's, it's amazing, and that supposedly some of them can even do it. But what I'm saying is the, the motivations here, you know, the science is one thing, but there's a lot more to all this than our science, which I think is quite narrow. And, and, and the physicists are getting at that. that. That's the way we see it, too, uh, more of a um, uh, you know, theoretical physics uh, being a possible explanation for this whole process, all the paranormal, but... But but what what is actually what is actually going on here? Could we be seen as equals by these things, these people, whoever or whatever these may be? If they if the whole thing isn't some sort of illusion caused by someone or something else, the question is what do we really know about all this after all these years of, of research that so many people have done, including yourself? Well, they certainly don't think of us as equal. Uh, my personal opinion based upon years of research is that they are uh, attempting to make us more like them. 
we know uh, over and over again, and probably the listening audience is familiar with the reproductive experiments that ha uh, have been done. Experiencers, thousands of experiencers report that they have observed uh, gestational tanks on board uh, craft and that these tanks can contain fetuses in various stages of development. Some of them look like the greys, some of them look uh, human, and some of them look uh, like sort of a combination of greys and human. And I really don't think that they're genetically, com we are con genetically compatible. I think that there's a process of gene splicing That's going problem. on here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that some of their genetic material is being inserted into the human uh, fetus or blastula, and then it is being implanted in the human woman. Uh, this, uh, I believe that this fetus is uh, has a human mother and a human father, but it has some of this ET uh, characteristics that are put into these cells and somehow, and it seems that they are trying to move us ahead to become more like them, to become more psychic, more telepathic, and um, to develop more of a collective consciousness, to become more empathic. And why? Yeah, I was going to say, well, why? why? Be so that they can communicate with us, because why? they cannot <laughs> communicate with us right now. The only way that we can, they can communicate with us is uh, by, through telepathic downloads of information. And then the human, it comes very rapidly, the human has to interpret it, has to remember w what it was. And so all we have is human interpretation of what the message was. And not many messages are given. There's not much interaction here. Also, I think that they are concerned that we might uh, become extinct and that uh, they would not want to see this happen. One thing that bothers me, and this is because of our mind and then our my 43-year interaction and now Ben's with what we refer to as parasites who often turn into greys and things, uh, they are not our friends. We are, to them, a food source, an energy food source, cattle, if you will. I don't believe seen. that for a moment. I do not believe that we are an energy food source to these greys. So you think these Maybe. are different creatures entirely? Yes, from what I do. we run into. Okay. I do think that they are entirely different creatures. I hope you're right. Okay, well, I want to give you a chance to talk about the, the Henderson case, because this is the fastest hour of radio here. So <laughs> please go ahead and talk about that and, and, and how it illustrates your point. Then I want to give you a chance to talk about your books and website, et cetera. Yes, well, in, Jenny Henderson is a woman from New Hampshire, uh, intelligent, credible woman. She was a high school teacher, married to a prominent businessman, had a couple of kids. And uh, she had a first, her first missing time experience when she was 13, uh, 16. She might have been taken before that. There's some evidence that she was. Her mother uh, also had memories of being taken. Uh, her, some of her siblings that she grew up with. And uh, she was taken time and time again over many, many years. 
And so uh, this is her story in the second half of the book. Uh, I've uh, talked about the messages that she has received from the ETs. And uh, some of uh, the incredible experiences that she has had. She also developed chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome after she had uh, what appeared to be an accident on board a craft. The ETs uh, uh, were doing what seemed to be like uh, giving her an electrical current that ran through her body. They said that they were altering her vibrational frequency, but she ended up with burns on her back, uh, a sunburn on her back, uh, conjunctivitis in her eyes, hair loss, like she might have been exposed to radiation, and uh, became ill after this and was ill for a number of years. I have her medical records. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Uh, there's just so much to it that I can't tell all of it here tonight, uh, but it's credible. She had a lot of conscious, continuous recall. Very little of this was remembered through hypnosis. All right. So, quick question. Uh, so, why are there so many different uh, varied experiences between alien abductions? Uh, People will sometimes say, well, you're saying that ultimately they want to help us. Other people are saying, no, 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 don't trust them. They're hurting us, blah, blah, blah. Their intentions are not good. How do you respond to people who say that this is a negative thing rather than a positive thing to be abducted? Well, I think that it depends upon two things. One thing is human perception. So if you're terrified, if you don't understand what's going on uh, and you don't uh, understand that there might be uh, a benevolent end result in all of this, then you might think that it's negative. At the same time, I think that some groups are negative. I've received enough reports from individuals, and I've talked to hundreds of experiencers. I've received enough negative reports to believe that some ETs are negative and do have a negative agenda where they do uh, cause physical injury to some humans. They view humans as being a very seemingly low form of life and uh, are insensitive to the people that they take. So how can human empathy or human emotion or equality be applied to non-human creatures? I don't understand your question. I'm saying if, if they have... If they if they what they're doing is benevolent or whatever and they say it's good, how do we know it's good if they're not human? Like saying that if we apply human virtues onto non-human creatures, then how do we know if their um, virtues are the same as ours? Well, I think that I'm primarily talking here about the uh, the greys, and uh, the greys. I specialize in the greys. Those are the extraterrestrials that I uh, work most often with in terms of experiencers. Okay. And uh, uh, they convey messages to the experiencers that uh, they are part of their family, that they care about them, that they mean no harm, they apologize uh, for, for frightening them, and, and that sort of thing. 
and they even have given these uh, humans the message that I've imparted on this radio show, what their ultimate intention is. Well, I'd like to come back to that to find out what it is. And we're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. We're talking with Kathleen Martin, author of The Alien Abduction Files. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries. How far will you go? Is bruised and on fire can stop the world, can stop desire. And I can't turn around, and I can't turn around. Some days I can see the future, some days you seem so far. Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And we are talking with our guest Kathleen Martin about 
well, abductions in general. So, Dad, you had a question? Well, yeah, I wanted to give uh, Kathleen a chance to talk about her book. Oh, yes, yes, before we run out of time here. Speaking and take it away, yes, well, I, uh, the alien abduction files, the most startling cases of human alien contact ever reported, is my new book. Uh, co-authored with Denise Stoner. Denise uh, wrote wonderfully detailed accounts of her lifelong memories of abduction that sort of came to the surface after her hypnosis session. Uh, prior to when I saw her, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, there had been many things that occurred, and finally she was able to put a name on it. So uh, that's our new book. And something that we did in this book that I do want to mention is we were in the year 2012 interested in identifying commonalities among abduction experiencers yeah, and quantifying you. this. We had uh, 50 people in the experiencer group, 25 in the control group. And out of the 50 questions, 45 questions we asked, we discovered 23 commonalities that were not common among the controls, uh, not common among the general population. And Jenny Henderson and Denise Stoner had all 23 of those commonalities. And one of those that I want to mention, since this is a paranormal radio show, is that 88% of the abduction experiencers reported that they'd witnessed paranormal activity in their homes, and that some of this had to do with poltergeist activity that occurred within a day or two of the time that they had an abduction experience, where household items would fly through the air, a picture might fly off a wall, lights would turn off and on on their own, doors would open and close on their own, that sort of thing. And uh, Denise and I just recently have made a discovery now, we've only found this on two individuals, and one of them was on Denise herself after, the day after she had an abduction experience. But we have found a very, very high electrical field reading uh, on a tri-field meter that I know that you guys, ghost hunters, use. Uh, we were measuring magnetic, electromagnetic, and electrical fields. We found a strong electromagnetic field on the dashboard of the car. The, the meter arced to full capacity on uh, these two abduction experiencers immediately after they had an abduction. And I, uh, this was amazing. Ask, may I just ask, did at any point the polarity on the field reverse? In other words, did you get a negative reading at any point? No, no, this was an, on the electrical field reading on the trimeter, okay. and it arced to 100. Normally with the human body, it would run around uh, 2 to 5. That's right. It, it went all the way to 100 and stayed there. Okay, the only thing, with, I mean, th that's very interesting, and, and everything you say is kind of corresponds with what we found too, but uh, I don't put a lot of stock in technology that way. Um, but with those meters, I find that if the, the any anything can affect those, even well, I can tell you, miles away. I but had controls in the room, and did. the control okay. people did not 
set it off. Oh, okay, I got you. But the two experiencers came within 10 feet of that meter, and Mm -hmm. it arced to full capacity. I moved it around. We moved it to different locations. We had them take off their watches, off anything that might trip this. Only the experiencers did this. The controls did not. And it happened regardless of where that meter was. See, in our experience, the same process allows goes to manifest Bigfoot, UFOs, greys, whatever, and greys with with high technology might be able to use that. I think even there are groups of humans who can even use that, and that's uh, multiversal travel, moving across the boundaries, which are electromagnetic fields. Uh, what say you how, about how this happens and why? I don't know what is causing this. This is what I'm exploring right now. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm reporting it is that I'm asking other investigators to uh, use their meters on uh, bodies of experiencers uh, as soon as possible after they have been taken. Because I want to know if this applies across the board. This is part of my current research. Very good. Well, we'll we'll help you spread the word on that because we're we're just in that too. Mm. Extremely interesting. Well, um, I guess we're coming up on. Well, no, we got a little bit of time. Well, we have about we have about three, probably two or three and a half minutes. A little little less than that. All right, Kathy, can you give us a little bit of a preview about what you're going to be talking about at the New England UFO Conference? Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, Well, the New England UFO Conference, you know, is on Saturday, October 26th at the Lemonster City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts, and Stan Friedman will be the keynote speaker. Peter Robbins is going to, uh, and he's well known for the Bentwaters incident. He wrote the book Left at Eastgate. He'll be speaking. I'm going to be speaking on Betty and Barney Hill, and uh, this is uh, something that I'm pretty excited about because would you believe after 52 years, we have some new evidence really? that this was real. Uh, a college professor at McGill University uh, came up, did a study on alien symbols. And so you're going to see that. You're going I can't to wait for that. Because we'll be there, uh, too, interviewing uh, the speakers, probably individually, uh, in front of a live audience. And they'll be playing it on the show. It should be pretty cool. Kathy, great, you're a great guest as always and thanks so much for a fascinating conversation Indeed, thank you. we'll be seeing you soon okay thanks for having me on okay oh, you're most welcome Very good. so visit our show website behindtheparanormal.com where you can find over 500 free podcasts of all our past shows is that working by the way oh uh that's a long story well so, well we don't have time for the long story so never mind <laughs> well no just briefly we've been the subject of a uh, the victims along with some others of a very serious global cyber attack uh, we are. We found a way to upload stuff, but some of the podcasts are, are cut off. But we are working on it, so please be patient. Indeed, we are. So many thanks to our producer Brandon Jackson, and we will see you next week as we will host another open line show on our on our many paranormal topics you have written to us about. So send your questions to Paul at Behind the Paranormal or Ben at Behind the Paranormal dot com, or use the question form at Behind the Paranormal dot com. The site is is up. In the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time Show on WOON, 1240 AM and com at 6 PM Eastern Time, 3 Pacific, every Monday. We'll leave you this evening with a thought from American novelist James, James Branch Cabell. The optimist proclaims that we live in the best of all possible worlds, and the pessimist fears that this is true. 
I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. <laughs>